Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, this is Ryan Fraser. This is Troy Dini. This is Gus Boyet. This is Don Hutchison. This is Jurgen Klopp, and you're listening to the big interview with Graham Hunter. Thank you, Jurgen. I travel to all these interviews from Barcelona and our socios, our beloved members, keep us on the road. This independent podcast wouldn't happen without them. Please go to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter right now to join us, to become a socio and to get every interview we produce without adverts and before it goes out on the main feed, plus lots of bonus content, including the chance to put questions to our guests and to me via the monthly Q&A. So do please go to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter and join the club and get your family and friends to do so. Maybe even strangers in the street. Love you. We really loved having Dean Smith as a guest. He's witty, articulate, convincing, and his teams play good football. So in part two of the big interview with Dean, we reflect on the influence of his father, cherished father, what he's learned from his own player, Tyrone Mings, in how to combat racism, plus his memories of last season's incredible 7-2 win over Liverpool. However, we begin with a subject central to Dean's coaching philosophy, how to build a culture at a football club and how to nurture it. I promise you're going to enjoy Dean Smith, Villa Manager. Is, is it possible that you can only establish a culture as a squad turns round a little bit because you get people who believe you get people who are just going yes boss no boss and and you've not changed them they're not buying and they're doing it because they kind of have to but just like let's say at, at the cliff and, and, and Carrington and in Old Trafford there was from from the moment that there was a handover from Pallister and Bruce maybe and, and Cantona through to the class of 92 they always said that when new people came in from either Britain or, or the continent they said, this is our way. This is our way. And it helped. You could see it helped, helped in the all for one, one for all attitude. They they played and behaved. Again, it was like Ron Saunders. There was a little bit of playing hard, uh, living hard. But that's how you can make sure that uh, uh, a culture is firmly rooted because you get your believers and the new ones are just see nothing. But it's when you're starting that it's hard. Yeah, the, the starting part is the hard part, you know, because what you can't do is go into a place and judge a culture straight away because you haven't lived it. You know, I've, I've, I've seen too many managers go into a new club and say, oh, they're not fit enough, the culture's not great. That's not, you don't know, you haven't lived it. So until you go in there and live it, then you get an idea of what's there. And, you know, uh, you go into a training ground and straight away you become the leader of that training ground, whether you like it or not. So people will, they'll pull on your behavior straight away. And the one thing I try to be is consistent. That, that's my, my big word. I remember we went through a, a sticky spell at Brentford and 
Brentford is an unbelievable football club. Really, really good people who run it. We 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 had a sticky spell of runs, and uh, at the end of the season, we do. We had two sporting directors, and they said, "Right, we need we need to sit down with you and do your appraisal." And I went, "Oh, okay, an appraisal." I said, "Never done an appraisal in football before." So I said, "Well, who actually does your appraisal?" And they went, "Well, actually, Matthew should probably do it. Who's the owner? But Matthew's not going to do it." I said, "Okay, I'm happy to do an appraisal, but me and you do. Me and Rasmus do Phil's. Me and Phil do Rasmus's, and Rasmus and Phil do mine." And it was the best best uh, learning curve again for me where I learned so much about them. They learned so much about me. And we just had a three-way chat where, you know, we talked about, and the one thing they said to me was even when we were losing, when I went into the training ground, win or lose, always the same. It was, you know, go and get your breakfast. Thank the chef. How are you to the, the cleaners and the kit men? And, and that's how it should be. When I first walked into that football club, all of a sudden I'd gone from having six members of staff to 26 members of staff. Uh, and that was Brentford. And obviously when I've gone from Brentford to Villa, all of a sudden there's more to get. And I always say to them, listen, do your job. Don't try to justify it. You're here for a reason. You're employed for a reason. If you try to justify it, it means that you want to be seen. Do your job. It's important enough. But Dean, I mean, again, tell me I'm talking rubbish if I am. I think that the concepts that you're talking about seem um, wholesome and healthy. They're bound to produce uh, better unity and feeling. But football is 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 absolutely riven with insecurities, um, patch protection, the idea of sharing information, even in an assessment, that's a weakness. You're preaching evangelically against just about a century of, if not stupidity, then certainly insecurity, I think. I, I've always said in, in the 10 years I've been a, a manager or a head coach, I've, ne- I've, never been, I've never been worried about getting sacked from my job because I'm not in control of that. Um, I mean, I, I can win 10 games on the spin and still get sacked. I can lose 10 games on the spin and not get sacked. I'm not in control of that. So I don't worry about that. I worry about my job, which is developing players, developing human beings and and making a really good team for this football club. And I try not to then worry about anything else. And I don't take it home, which, you know, is an art in itself. Um, I, I, I remember when I first got the job at Warsaw and after the game, I went mad at the lads for somebody had made a mistake and I walked into my office I had a headache and I was like God I've got to go and do the press now and I said from that day I'm not doing that I said A I can't change the result B I need these players again next week and C the most important thing is the message I get out now to the the fans and the players in the press so after the match now they get two minutes of my time and that's it and it's never never a rant because I can go through the game again the next day when we review it more logically and um you know and, and with players who are all a little bit calmer because it is an emotional game and sometimes you have to take them emotions out of it um where where you can during a game that's the time when it is very hard but I'm not a ranter and raver on the sidelines. Um I protect my players, you know I don't like I don't like the opposition bench having to go at them um because they're my players. And, you know, probably, and I've, I've calmed myself down a little bit this year, probably have a go at officials <laughs> too much. 
you know, because they are human as well and make mistakes. But it's important for me that my players see a consistency because it allows them to go and be consistent as well. And that's what we're searching for. All right, a quick cheeky follow-up before my next question from one of our socios, who's one of our members who support the podcast. Dean, when you, you, you said never again after that little rant at the players at Brentford, and you said never again for a lot of different reasons, because that volcanic stuff in certain afternoons or nights still exists, where, where does it go? Listen, it, I won't deny it comes out now and again, and I think it has more of an impact when it does come out now and again. If I'm doing it week in, week out, it, eventually the players are like, yeah. And I've always said there's two things. If, if you upset the players or or you make them bored, you're in trouble as a coach. You're in trouble. Um, you know, you, you, you have to make, for me, you have to make training enjoyable, but also a learning experience. They want to come in. They want to work. They want to feel like they've learned something. So, when they leave, they can actually feel fulfilled. And that's what I try to do. And one of the big things I've always said, I wanted to be a manager who I would have wanted to be managed by. Yeah, brilliant. And, and, it, and it's a big thing because I remember being, I made my debut at 17. I have no idea why the manager picked me, but he picked me and I, and I played and we, we won 3 nil. And, you know, because at that time I didn't understand the game. I don't think I was really coached until I was probably 23, 24. I was told, get the ball, give it Derek Staven. And it was like, yeah, but I can see so many other things. But it was like, but that was the way it was then. The, the manager and the coaches were authoritarian and you were told what to do. I think my learning as a player came through playing with the likes of Derek Staven, uh, Des Bremner, Gary Shaw. Um, Kevin McDonald, uh, yeah, and they'd had the best of their careers, but had come down the level to Warsaw, and it was a great learning curve for me, learning from all them players. Will McLeod is one of our socios, one of our members. Good afternoon. Could you ask for Dean's recollections of a big moment from last season, the seven-two victory against Champions Liverpool? Was anything different about the build-up? What was the match and post-match like from his point of view? Did Dean have any idea before the game that they might be about to do something special? No, no idea at all. Um, I'd felt that we was in a good place. Did I expect us to go and beat Liverpool 7-2? No, Um, I can honestly say that. We played them in Project Restart at Anfield and we played a little bit differently because we felt there was a weakness that we could expose. And we missed our chances in that game, ended up losing the game 2-0. But we just felt that it was the right way to go and play against Liverpool. Um, You know, because they have their identity, uh, the way they play under Jurgen Klopp, and it's it's fantastic for everybody to see. But my job is to expose, try and expose weaknesses. And, you know, we didn't want to go too far away from that previous game. I mean, we were quite, we were kind of fortunate last season because we won our first four games but people forget that our first game should have been against Manchester City away so it could have all been so different because, but because they had played late in Europe that game got cancelled so our first game was Sheffield United uh, then we played Fulham away and then it was the Liverpool game on the day we, we scored three deflected goals 
you know, which which wrong-footed the goalkeeper. But we created so many chances that Ollie Watkins got a, got a perfect hat-trick and was disappointed because he felt he should have scored five. Um, and we didn't have a lot of possession because Liverpool, a possession-based team, but we knew the areas that we wanted to exploit when we actually won the ball back. And to be fair, it's the one game where I look back and go, that's where players expertly um, dealt with the game plan, how we wanted it to. It helped that we had special talent in Jack Grealish. We had a, a player, Ross Barkley, who was at a, you know his first game for us and he was incredible on that game. And, and, and Ollie Watkins, who I believe is the, the best presser in, in the Premier League. Before the rest of this big interview, I'd like to tell you that our entire archive of audio and video content is now on our new YouTube channel. We've begun filming all of our interviews, and there are already loads of clips with guests, including Rio Ferdinand, Connor Cody, Brendan Rogers, and Jamie Carragher, plus full interviews for you to watch and to share. Please do share with friends. Go to YouTube and search Graham Hunter or click on the link in the show notes to this episode and become a subscriber. I honestly think you'll enjoy it. Thanks. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. I felt watching it, I was really impressed. I'd like to say proud, but it's only now knowing you and listening to you that the, but the the relentlessness with when they sniffed a chance, when they they never took the foot off. There must have been a moment when some players were going, "Well, is this real? Do we sit on what we've got? Let's let's um, stick, not twist." But it was remorseless. It was ambitious, and to to me. Okay, you were never going to do that week in, week out, but it told me a lot about the people in that squad and either what you'd got through to them or what the culture was, because it was like, listen, if we sniff a chance, punch, punch, and punch again. It was that's what I I loved about that afternoon. There was a big thing about it as well because of who Liverpool were at the time. Even at five one or six two, you never felt comfortable because they could go and score goals. So we had to go and continue to be relentless. 
And my my upbringing has always been I'm I'm not one who sits on a one goal lead uh, because I, I believe if you do, then all you're going to do is bring pressure on, and eventually that pressure is going to tell with some of the the quality of the players you're up against. You know what relieves you more is by scoring a second goal and going two nil up. Um, you know, so that's something that I try and pass on to the players to go and do. I have to close with three, uh, two of which are, are a little bit sensitive, so I'm, I'm going to be careful about it. Um, but our sponsor, C65, say, and it's a simple one, what's your proudest moment as Villa manager? I'd have to say getting them promoted, uh, yeah. simply because it was at Wembley with 40-odd thousand Villa fans there. Um, if if there'd have been fans allowed in at West Ham when we stayed up, I'd have probably said that because I thought it was a bigger achievement. Um but getting promoted in front of all our fans at Wembley. And, you know, if if I hadn't been the manager, I'd have been on the terraces there. So, you know, that was brilliant. Dean, this is one where uh, we don't know each other well. So I'll understand if you, if you if you don't want to commit. But, look, and I'm a Scot. Um, I followed Spain through, I was working with Spain throughout the European Championship. And while I'd, I'd rather Scotland won matches, I'm not one of those Scots who's anti-English. And I think it's for the benefit of the game that one of the great nations is now competitive again. There's two World Cup winning um, sides, I think under 17, under 19. It's really clear that there's a progression at the England international side. But it brings with it thorny moments. Now, I personally, I loved what Tyrone Mings said, two things particularly, that while he looked comfortable and dominant, after the tournament, I think he did a lot for people who put a front on in life and look one way but are another and said, look, I felt watched. <laughs> I felt worried that people were saying he's the guy we're not sure should be in the team. And I think it was terrifically brave to admit that. I know it's becoming more common, but in the years that you and I were growing up, that you, that was never said, never. And I also specifically, in my opinion, liked what you said about Pretty Patel, about her... A fairly aggressive behaviour towards taking the knee at the beginning of the tournament and then saying, well, the racism heaped on the, the penalty missers was... Is there anything you want to, to, to talk about Tyrone's attitudes and words post-tournament that, that, that answer those? Because to me, I was really, really thoroughly impressed by him. It, it's the way I want footballers to think and speak. Yeah, I think you mentioned it right from the start. You know, when we were growing up, such insecurities wouldn't be talked about. But they were there. They were there for, for most people. And and every anybody who would tell me that they deny they had them, I, I would debate because with all that insecurities, I feel there's a, a freshness now for people to be able to come out and say what Tyrone did. And it'd be wrong of me to say that I'm proud of Tyrone saying because that's the that's the person he is. And he would, he would, he would say, "Well, you know me, Gaffer. That's what I'll say. What I think, and that's why he's he's a great member of, the, of this football club, and why one of the reasons why I brought him in because he's thoughtful, he thinks a lot, and he thinks differently sometimes as well. And you know, I like that because you know uh, it can it it can cause it, it allows us to talk about different things that we probably wouldn't talk about before." Um, no, and, and Tyrone won't mind me telling you this discussion we had. I was querying whether I took the knee this season. Um, 
I wasn't sure whether it had probably lost a little bit of what we set out for it to do. Um, and Tyrone actually said to me, Gaffer, I would prefer you to do it. He said, because, you know, if we've chosen to take the knee and you don't as our leader, what does that look like? I said, well, that would allow me to actually discuss my reasons for not doing it. We had a conversation. I decided, no, I will. I'll, I'll continue to take the knee. We we felt, we feel here that Aston Villa a great responsibility along with Sheffield United because we were the first clubs who agreed to take the knee. And, and the reason to do it was, was to raise awareness to inequality and racism. Um, and I think we've done that now and we will continue to do it because as Tyrone said to me, there may be just one child in a playground who goes home and asks his parents why we're doing it. That's important enough then for me. So I understand Tyrone's point when he said that. But I do feel now we need guidance from the authorities on where we go next. You know, we've educated a lot of, not the football world, but how do we go on educating other people and how does it move on? Because we can't kneel for the next 50 years, you know, and we also know there's, there's certain people we're never going to get to. We, we understand that and we have to accept that. But there's got to be some, some kind of education that, goes on there. What's our next step? And I think the authorities now need to get together and, and decide what that next step is and, and give us some guidance. I'm really grateful for such a, a clear and articulate answer. And I think that it's, again, I, th- I think it relates to creating a culture. I know it's different from creating a culture within a, a more closed environment like a club and, and you're the club's leader, but I, I still think that's the same missionary work. So the, the, the two to close up, I don't I, I mentioned the Super Cup win over Barcelona. You didn't happen to be at Villa Park that night, did you? Oh, I did. I was there, yes. And, and, and my abiding memory of that is Gordon Cowan's. The goalkeeper saved the penalty and Gordon Cowan's followed up and scored the rebound and he got volleyed into the goal. He was, they were vicious that night, Barcelona. I think they had two men sent off. They had both um, Julio Alberto, who's had a terrible life of suffering, and Marcos Alonso both sent off, and Big Alan Evans got a red card too. There was no holding back, but I mean, anyway, you look at it. Wednesday, twenty sixth January, a two legged European final. Gary Shaw, Gordon Cowens, Ken McNaught, and a three a three nil win over a side with Ruti Alexanko, Migueli, Victor Munoz, legend Bernd Schuster, um, Perico Alonso, who's Chabi Alonso's dad. Uh, Carrasco I mean Kini one of the great scorers of all time in Spanish football I, I, I mean okay the, the, the 1-0 Bayern Munich game is the one for, but that must have been 30, only 31,000 at Villa Park but it must have just felt like heaven paradise it was incredible I'm not sure I'm not sure a lot of us understood what the Super Cup was at the time you know <laughs> hence there only being 31,000 there but um, no it, it was incredible it was such an incredible season because we just we just won the league. The following season, we won the European Cup. And then we're in the European Cup again and the Super Cup. We win the Super Cup. And then we're playing against Juventus in the quarterfinal of the of the European Cup again. And, you know, Bonnyek's playing. And it was, mm-hmm. it, was in, it was incredible, incredible times. Well, do you then, this is the last one that I meant that's sensitive um, because I, I want to be delicate. It's, it's only very recently that you, you lost your dad. What do you owe your dad? What did your dad do for you in life? What did he show you? Not just with the way that he brought you up and your brother up, but, you know, just the act of... We, we sometimes forget how important it is. Take your kids, take your son, take your daughter to football because he's literally... 
changed and enriched your entire existence on this planet with with that simple thing about showing you his love for that club. Yeah, I mean, he introduced us to to football. It was his love. He wasn't a great footballer himself, but he introduced me and my brother to football. And it, it was hard to get a compliment from my dad. The way he was brought up, he wouldn't have been had many compliments from his dad. And as I say, he worked in a factory. We didn't see an awful lot of him. He was out at seven o'clock in the morning, six thirty in the morning, back at half five. Would sit, eat his dinner, have an hour's sleep, and then walk down the pub for a couple of pints. You know, it was it was a simple life. We learned valuable lessons, me and my brother, from my dad because of that. I, I would I would say it was my dad's values within the house, but it was probably my mum who brought the family up because my dad was having to earn the money for us. Um, but when he gave you a compliment, it meant a lot. You know, he, he would always say that my brother was the, the better footballer, but unfortunately he found Lager. Listen, we owe so much to, to our parents and, you know, they, they worked hard to make sure we had a holiday each year, whether it be in mid-Wales, uh, at Pontins or um, wherever. And I remember the first time we ever went abroad, we went on a 20-hour, 28-hour coach journey to get to Spain. Such was the times then, but we we knew how hard they worked for it, and we appreciated it, and realised that we had to go and work hard, you know, to to be successful in our lives as well. Dean Smith, West Midlands chess champion, uh, leader, culture <laughs> maker, um, admirable, admirable Villa manager. This has been pure joy. It's only out of the respect I was taught from my dad that I'm stopping now because I, I could do another day of this. Thank you. Um, all of us will be watching uh, Villa with expectancy and hope and, and, and the expectancy that we'll enjoy watching them because your team plays a brand of football that, you know, win, lose or draw is, is enthralling, it's entertaining. And I, and I think it... I don't think there's anything that you could look back and say to the 81-82 side and say, we don't try to do that. You know, okay, maybe the levels they reached are still to come for you, but there are direct traces between you and that team and your team and that team, and that's the biggest compliment I can hand out. It's been, it's been a thrill speaking to you. Thank you for being so generous with your time. No worries. Thank you. Good to speak to you, mate. Thank you. For listening to The Big Interview, it's produced by me, which sounds egotistical, but it's also true, Graham Hunter, and Backpage. Our music is by Beer Jacket, who else? Editing by Charlie McGarry. Thank you to our hosts at Acast and our loyal sponsors at Bet365. We're also supported by our socios. Find out how to become a socio, how to support us at patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter. Here endeth the lesson.